This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Sunbum.com. We were away from the beach, actually, but in the desert this past weekend. 100-degree weather, intense sun, and we used a full array of Sunbum products for us and all of our guests. Fragrance-free, zinc-based protection for your lips. This is a zinc-based, gluten-free, vegan, mineral SPF 30 lip balm. It is the same perfect alchemy of mineral sunblock that I've been telling you about, the mineral sunblock that I use for my face, my body, but they also formulate it for your lips. Lauren is using lip balm all the time. She can never find it. So you know what I did? Stocked up on Sunbum lip balm. It's the best product of its kind on the market, and now she's got one in her car, she's got one in the living room, she's got one in the bedroom, in her office, all over the place. Uh, I've also mentioned their skincare and hair care products. She's using all of their hair care products loving them the skincare they have a daily cleanser infused with ginseng green coconut water antioxidant rich banana cleanses your skin without leaving it dry you can get the skincare you can get the hair care you can get the sunblock products all on sunbum.com where you'll save 15 percent if you use our promo code surf splendor all one word it's a one-time discount valid through the end of 2022 you can also buy Sunbum at pretty much all of your local surf shops. Surf shops know, and that's why they carry Sunbum. They trust the bum like we do. You can find it at Target. You can find it at CVS, other national retailers as well. I would be shocked if you weren't already on board the Sunbum train, but it's never too late. And you could save 15% on Sunbum.com by using our promo code surf splendor that also supports us by letting them know that you heard about them here so sunbum.com for all of your skincare hair care and sun protection needs trust the bum at sunbum.com and trust athleticgreens.com slash surf for your nutritional needs this is the quickest most convenient health correction that i have ever made in my life i am a huge fan because it's simple and it's effective. It's a green powder. You mix it with eight ounces of water and that's it. Um, in fact, you set up a subscription on their website, athleticgreens.com surf. They send a pouch of green powder to your house once a month. You just set it and forget it. Take that scoop in the morning with water. It takes about 20 seconds all told, and you know that your nutritional needs are covered for the day. So I'll let you go to their website to actually research what is in the product. And you'll see that not only is it the best product of its kind, but it's actually a replacement for probably a lot of supplements that you're already using. So it can kind of help you eliminate um, multiple daily vitamins or whatever else you're taking. And it's also easier on the stomach. Those capsules are actually hard to digest and they're hard on the stomach. So this is actually simpler. It's more effective. It's all in one. And uh, you can support us and support your optimal nutritional well-being at athleticgreens.com slash surf. Set it up and forget it. 
know that all the important stuff is taken care of in your diet. You don't have to worry about that again. You got plenty of other things to worry about. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. Surfboard manufacturer Darren Hanley has dedicated his life to creating the ultimate high-performance surfboard. 11 world titles have been won on his boards. Most recently was two weeks ago at Lower Trestles as Stephanie Gilmore blitzed the pack en route to her eighth world title. Ethan Ewing was also there on finals day competing on Darren's boards. Uh, Hanley is almost synonymous with the Gold Coast where he grew up where he first connected with a young Mick Fanning and where he continues to work to this day at the age of 58, still shaping, still laminating, still picking up the sander and spending days at his factory in Burley Heads. Honing the sensitivity of a surfboard is what Darren Hanley focuses on in concert with surfing's finest competitive athletes. And it's part of the reason that he's been able to build one of the most recognized surfboard labels globally. He's also currently featured in Stab Magazine's Electric Acid Surfboard Test, where he has partnered with Simon Jones of Morning of the Earth Surfboards to build something entirely different for lifelong DHD devotee Mick Fanning. And I would also argue that DH would be in the running for being one of the best surfer slash shapers out there, which I think is worth noting. So, Talented, hardworking, candid, there's a lot to admire here, but I will let you hear it directly from the man himself. This conversation was recorded in March 2019 in a hotel room at Manly Beach, Australia, while the Sydney Surf Pro took place across the street. So that is where he and I will enter this conversation. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Darren Handley. I need an introduction. I have never had a Balter beer. Really? Do I start with Pilsner? Well, what time is it? It's two o'clock in the afternoon. That's right. <laughs> That's Pilsner on, time. Should be, we should be on Captain Sensibles. They're the light one that um, is really nice, but I think that one there is like the 7% one, and this one, uh, the Pilsner, this is my favourite. Okay, so let me throw the seven percenter back in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, I'd we'll do start that. with start with the pilsner. Otherwise, this thing could get really ugly. Okay, which is perfect for the podcast. <laughs> Good little setup you got here. Yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right then. Cheers, Darren. Bang! Cheers. Welcome to Australia. It's been a long time coming. It has. I've been um, tracking you, stalking you down the coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that time of the year where, you know, you, you shape so many boards for all your team riders and you just follow them on the tour and 
make sure that all the hard work's been done. So um, some guys are doing really well. Some guys are having a bit of trouble, not with their boards, but with getting through heat. So it's uh, just really good to watch and you learn from it. You've been to a million events. Um, there almost, to be honest, doesn't seem to be a rhyme or a reason to some of the losses. Like I'm watching the free surfs every afternoon out here. I won't name names, but like the guys who I think are the best, like everybody in the lineup's unbelievable. And then there's one or two that are just a, above and beyond and then they go out and they get fourth place in their in their heat yep. what happens yeah i mean yeah the time of the clock can get them um and if they're like i'll pick ethan ewing for an example okay that's the exact name that i didn't <laughs> want to say i watch ethan and i'm like dude he is 50 percent, 20 percent better than everybody else yeah. and but he's just having um you know the waves are against him at the moment um, and he's just got to change that around. And we spoke about that just down the beach. Um, oh, we just had a little heat, me and Ethan, together. And um, Jake Patterson said he's just not a magnet for waves at the moment, so we'll just turn that around. And he's got the uh, wild card, not the wild card, but the in the trials for the snapper event. And he's number third on the alternate list. So he'll get a couple of starts this year. And we're having Jake Patterson in his corner. I reckon that'll be, you know, turn it all around. How demoralizing is it for somebody like Ethan, knowing that he has the talent that he has to kind of constantly be dealt? Because you said he's not a wave magnet at the moment, but he had a shot on the CT, and he still didn't have the, you know. Oh, look, what I'm learning more and more is um, the older they get, the better they get. And he's only 20 years old, and and most of these guys, you know, there's going to be kids that are going to qualify and they, there already is, you know, they qualify, then they fall off, then they have another go, then they'll qualify. But the guys really hit their strides, I reckon, when they're in the 24, 25. Jack Freestone, another guy that was went on tour, he's an amazing surfer, but didn't work it out, and now he's having another dig, and he should do really well. As long as he puts everything together, he's got his family now, so it's. I think it's just the game that they've got to love the game and be there and surf and like the crowds and... You know, especially Snapper, the first event, and I think they've really got to love the game and have the right equipment and, and just tick every box. And Mick Fanning's a perfect example. I've been dealing with him for, you know, I think uh, since he's been 13, so it's like 20-something years, and just watching how professional he was. And I'm just trying to sometimes take that and educate my, my team riders on how he was so professional about surfboards, tick, fitness, tick, you know, and... Um, body tick, yeah, you know, all those things. So it just took all those things out of their mind, and then they just had to wait for the waves to come. And Mick knew how to do that, and that's why he won three world titles. Did didn't fitness come later for Mick? It did. Uh, the injury was the right. was the best thing that sort of happened to him because it made him the fittest surfer. He was already the fastest surfer. Then all of a sudden, he was the fittest surfer. Was Kelly was the only fit guy. You're know, doing all the training that no one ever saw and he didn't let anyone know that he was training and, you know, he's so flexible and look at him, he's 45 years old and you know, still on tour. It's amazing. You and know, no, still surfing out here. Yeah, and ripping. No no one will ever do that. Um, I don't think they will, but... Um, but he, he's... Um, Mick Fanning got fit and then all of a sudden he's with working with Nam and working with all these... Uh, Phil, his coach, and... That was all of a sudden, that's how you have to be a world title, you know, in contention for world titles. And then all of a sudden, now everyone's got coaches, fitness guys, 
you know, tra- all this different training. The Australians got the um, high performance center, you know, where they've got the trampolines and mats and airs and, you know, surfing's just come a long way in the last um, eight to ten years. What was your very first memory of Mick? Do you remember the first scene, your first kind of mm-hmm. time you saw him? So we were in the same board riders club, Kerra Board Riders. Um, he was a kid. I was, you know, surfing in the opens and stuff like that. And just the blonde hair that he had a hairline that came down to his eyebrows. And but the blonde hair and the open arm turns that he used to do just went, this kid's got something. And I just really liked his style and everything like that. And um, we just went up to him. I think he was 13. I go, I'd like to make your boards. And he goes, that'd be sick. And then we just got a relationship going as a kid. And then I educated him because, like, the Mick story is just, he spent more time in the bay than any other surfer I've ever had by I a long time. That. He comes in there all the time. He'll, you got to understand with these professional surfers, they... They surf two or three times a, you know, a day when there's waves. We all go to work during the week. Mick gets up, there's a little wave, he'll have a surf. We're all at work. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm bored. So he rings me, I'm bored. And I go, oh, here we go. I'm coming up. So he comes up to the factory and I get, he goes, I want to shape a board. Or I want to watch you shape boards. And he used to spend time and time and time again. And even when I had Parco riding for me, they used to come up and shape boards for each other. And just it just taught them how boards are made and what edges do and what fin positions do and concaves. So at that time, I could actually surf, you know, I was still surfing really well and I understood it and taught it to Mick. Then he took it to another level and then he was teaching me, well, concave does this, that double concave did this that edge going up that far did this, um, moving that fin back did this. So now he knows everything. So when he orders a board, he goes, I'll have the edge here, the fin there, the concave there. And now we've dialed his DNA board in so well that he just wants little tiny tweaks every year. And it's just been, you know, a board that stable for him. And now it's all these guys surfing in these events just go, just give me what Mick rides. Does it translate to them? It does because they translated to the way Mick was winning con- winning heats and contests. You know, take off, big rap, you know. It just doesn't translate to the guys that do airs because, you know, that's a whole different ball game. That, you know, Mick, Mick isn't the air guy, even though he's retired now. He's doing more airs now that he's retired than he was before. It's so. so it's funny that you say that um, Mick is that sophisticated when it comes to board design because in the Stab in the Dark piece this year, mm-hmm. I felt like he was particularly inarticulate like he just kind of said ah this board's pretty good yeah this one's good too that one that's pretty good like he didn't really have a lot of critical analysis of the various boards and it's great to watch Mick rip on a bunch of different boards but I didn't learn anything about what the nuances were between those boards well I mean Mick's a person that you know doesn't make mistakes in life of but he he doesn't want to do like yeah you know, if you watch Geordie in the stab in the dark, he's going. That was a waste of a grip, you know. He yeah. was he ripped into people, which, um, which was good and bad. That yeah, but that's the that's the risk you take by going in the stab in the dark. You know, it's you sit there biting your fingernails, going, "Oh, I hope they don't, you know, do bad, say bad things about my boy," because it's personal. We we 
you know, that's that's our career, that's what we do, so we put our heart and soul into it. But Mick said, you know, with all the boards, they were all good. Some were just more flexy than others, um, and he doesn't like too much flex. So, And he's never really been – well, he hasn't. He's been – hates epoxies. But he did learn some stuff on epoxies, which he came back and told me that I've learnt this, and that's why – I mean, I got disqualified um, because he knew who my board is, but that's fine. I, that doesn't bother me because – we learnt stuff and the Channel Islands that won the um, Stab in the Dark, that was the most stiffest board out of the whole whole thing. So that's why he you know, elected that board because everything else he'd push down and the thing would just bend and then he'd have to wait for it to come back before he could do his next turn. And that was what I was trying to do with my board with him is just I knew he liked stiff boards because they've got to feel like the boards that he's growing up along with stringers and make it feel like that. But now with the new generation of kids, they're all growing up riding epoxies without stringers in them. So they're used to that more flexy sort of board. So next generation, going to be riding a lot more you know, epoxies, especially in waves like where, where we are today in Manly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on um, the values and the limitations of Stab in the Dark? I personally see as an entertainment piece... It's great, and I'm thrilled to have it. I'm glad that they do it. But I also recognize um, there are a lot of limitations to it, and everybody's got feedback for how they can improve it and blah, blah, blah. But what are your thoughts? Um, you're only as good as the last board you shaped, so it keeps you on your toes. So you really got to make sure that you put a lot of effort in. I've heard that Hayden takes a long time to pick the right ball that he wants to put in, and he gets really nervous and stuff about it. I just shaped the board... Yeah, you know, for everyone and go, that'll do. I, I know whether, you know, concave, fins, rails, volume, length, width, that's it. I'm not going to go and change my whole design. I'm just going to give them something that I make and and hopefully that surfer likes that board. But, yeah, look, talking to retailers that sell our boards, they'd like to see it a little bit different, that there's stuff that they'd love them to come in and blind them and, and go and picking boards out of the rack and going which one do you want so that they're actually going ride the stock boards that the uh, that the public ride which is you know glassed a bit heavier um, fins where they are so they want it to relate back to them because um, just to the general public that are right. you know that are buying all these boards from us so that's where if they could work out that that'd be a good thing um, and then they got the acid test or something like they're doing. Steph Gilmore just did that. Mm-hmm. And um, I went and saw all the boards that she was riding and um, and she was like, she's got a, a Defender 8 world, eight, the 7th world title coming up and she's riding twin fins and single fins and and the waves were pumping out Kira and she's just like, oh, I wish I could just ride my normal board. But to answer your question, I just think that the the stab have got it really, really good in the surfers that they pick, and I, you know, I heard they've got some you know, other surfers that want to line up for it. But I just think it's got to relate to the public a little bit more because everything we're riding, that those surfers are riding, the public don't buy. You know, little, you know, speed demon surfboards. That's why the the uh, acid thing is sort of, you know, that sort of relates to the public a little bit more. Yeah. When you look at uh, Stephanie taking a break from writing high-performance shortboards to go do something like that, do you think it's actually helpful to her title campaign or detrimental? Uh, is it helpful? Nah, it's helpful, but she just did it too late. 
Okay. They Too went close all, to the season. They went all the way to over Africa somewhere and they got skunked. They didn't get any waves. So she had to come back and do it here. So that just really chewed into her time. But, you know, she's an amazing surfer and she's got good people in the corner. So she'll she'll bounce back. That's if we get waves at Snapper this year because there's, you know, there's um, not too many banks yet. We just had the, the great swell of the, of the year. So... Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw Steph? Um, yes. The first time I saw Steph was at Greenmount when before the Superbank. And same thing, blonde hair, you know, she had hairy white She's going to kill me for saying this. <laughs> <laughs> um, white hairy arms and she just, you know, wore board shorts and... Surf like one of the boys, and she was one of the boys, and she just used to put time and time in the water with her dad. And there was a girl called Karina Petroni that was doing the um, – well, she was living here with her brother and um, and they were surfing, and she was buying boards from me at the time. And and she's going to Steph, you should get one of Darren's boards. They're really good. And I don't even know what she was riding before me. I, I can't even remember that. And then she came and saw me with a, you know, all the zinc on and stuff, and – I made her a board and made her a couple and then we had a great relationship as well and she just said, just make me what, you know, Mick rides. But I've got some of her old boards that I wanted to surf again because she was riding six ones when she won the first snapper. Really? Now she rides five tens. And the same with Mick. Mick was riding six ones when he first came to me. Now he's five tens. So that's how much surfing has changed. And the rails are so low and the noses are so flipped and... Yeah. But that was Queensland and what that's what we made back then. But it worked for them because they they surfed those beautiful waves and any good waves they could really, you know, rip in those in those sort of boards. So you actually ride Stephanie's boards? I don't anymore. Okay. But I used to be able to ride well, I can still ride mix because he's he rides at less volume than anyone, but I can still ride mixed boards. Like I just had a surf with Ethan then and you know, I rode his board, but it just felt too loose for me, but it's still, you know, I can still paddle out on I can still paddle out on mix, and I think that's good for me that, you know, I'm quite old now, but I can still paddle and still keep my fitness up, you know, being this age. So it's been good because I know what it feels like to take off on a board, not to do what they do, but just to actually feel how the concave and the fins and the and everything goes. What, did, what was the difference when you met um, Mick and Stephanie as compared to a lot of these other young kids that you're working with? Um, the, the biggest difference was I was on a I was on the uptake going here we go I'm just about to become a shaper there was no good shapers around everything was flat I was working a pipe dream all boards were flat so and I was working with some reasonably good QS surfers at the time and I was at starting to become a great shape or good shaper and these guys were starting to become good surfers and we just met each other at the right time. And that was the reason why they've done as well as they've, they've done, and that's why I've done as well as I've done, is because we just we just fitted like a glove to each other, and it was really good. Our relationships uh, out of the water is incredible. You know, I spend a lot of time with Mick, and I spend a lot of time with Steph, and they trust me, and um, and I you know, and I trust them in all the feedback. Like Mick's ripped into me before. Like with boards when he was, you know, he hadn't won a world title, but <laughs> there was this one time 
I wasn't there, but he went into the into the glass shop where you know we made boards, and he come in and he's they've rung me and said you got to you got to call Mick, he's not happy. And I go, what happened? And they go, and he kept on punching in his tails. This is before carbon came in on the tails. He kept on punching in his tails, and he goes, he come in, he goes. If you guys can't get this right, I'll go somewhere else. He goes, you know how long it takes me to put the stickers on these boards? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all right. So I, we went and worked it out and put extra – because there's no carbon, but, you know, it was just fibreglass, so we put extra uh, cloth on them and we fixed that time. But Mick, Mick's he, – he, he's in the bay and he makes sure that he gets his, his surfboards right. And it took, it took a good – five years to really have it dialed perfectly mm. and then after that five years i was happy for him to ride coro boards and a few mayhem boards because all it done it taught me um what he little things out of them it was in the stab in the dark little things out of them that that i go oh that's interesting and then he'd, he'd give me the mayhem board and i'd ride it because i can ride that so it was a uh, kolohe board i remember that yeah and you know it had those tuck rails and i was like Oh, I feel how that releases, but that's not good at snapper because you don't want the release because the waves are, you know, but I can see that at trestles. That'd be really good, you know. So we tried it and goes, no, nah, it's, it's good, but not what we want. But, you know, we, we go through all those stepping stones to get him exactly what he wants. As you gear up for autumn, you're going to need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. And I'll tell you what, I've always had anxiety about finding the right candidate, but that anxiety has been replaced with confidence because not only is LinkedIn the world's largest professional network, it's also trusted and reliable because all of my colleagues, friends, and network exists there so I can vet potential candidates quickly on the platform that I already know how to use. So what do you do? You create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and well beyond it to the world's largest professional network of 810 million people. Then you add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so that your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's exactly why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. So believe it or not, every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to use the world's largest, most trusted, reliable, and familiar platform to find your next candidate. LinkedIn.com slash surf. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a place for you to share your ideas, whether you're passionate about healthcare, sports, entertainment, finance, or anything in between. There's a community of more than 850 million people who care about the same things as you. And when you create and share on LinkedIn, you're not just connecting with other people. You're connecting with opportunities that can generate business outcomes. To join the conversation and get the tools you need to reach your audience, visit LinkedIn.com. 
those early initial meetings with both Mick and Steph, was there something in their DNA where you knew, like, okay, this is the golden child that will win a world title? Or did they develop whatever that world championship ability is over the course of the next few years? I think with Steph, she had the ability that was, you know, second to none at that time. You know, she was, she was such a better surfer than most of the people around. Um, she was savvy. She wanted it. She was hungry. But with Mick, he grew up with in Coolangatta. And, you know, every, if you know a Coolangatta, everyone's got a nickname. There's not one person that uses, you know, another name. So, you know, you got Paco, Dingo, and there was another guy, Dean, uh, Dean, not Dean, um, Harvey, um, Damon Harvey. So they were the four Cooley kids. So they were pushing each other and pushing each other. And in the end, the, you know, the three of them came out like the Cooley kids and they did this movie. And so if they didn't have that rivalry, I think that was what pushed Paco and Mick to become, you know, Paco got his world title and Dingo was on tour for a long time, great surfer, but that banter that they had and that thing of Cool and Gatta, and that's why everyone sort of started moving to Cool and Gatta. You know, Luke Egan moved up here, Oki moved up there, um, you know, just to name a few, because we had great waves and we had great shapers and, and just, just it was just a great place to grow up. Yeah. I want to transition a little bit to talk about um, the business of building boards. There's been a million great shapers, not a million, there's been a lot of great shapers. By the way, help yourself when you're ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, um, I'm Australian. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot of great shapers over the years, and being a great businessman is a totally different skill set, right? And there's not a lo- not very often where you've seen somebody do both things, successfully anyways. Mm-hmm. And um, you've scaled your business really su- successfully and it seems that the quality has not been compromised regardless of where the boards are built or available throughout the world you're able to get a good dhd off the rack anywhere in the world um let's start with what is the current business model where what is your role on a day-to-day and then secondly where are the boards being built around the world okay long question yeah we got time (laughs) um like i haven't got it right all the time, okay. but I've got it right now. Okay. So we had the base um, concept a long time ago with me, Morris, Murray Burt and Simon S. We all grouped together and we had all these strong figureheads and great business idea. Um, and but just we just we just spent a lot of money and, and it just didn't work, you know. And in the end, um, it went bankrupt. Um, most of the shapers just rolled up their sleeves and went, all right, didn't work, so let's get back into, you know, getting our brand back and, and going again. But I think the secret now for me, um, I've got business partners, which I've always wanted to have business partners because I'm great at what I do. I'm amazing at shaping boards and looking after team riders and being at the beach and, and having relationships with them, but I can't do that if I'm worrying about who hasn't paid that account, who hasn't did that, who's, God, can you look after this customer and stuff like that. So I've got really good um, people that are running my business um, on a day-to-day with, you know, sales guys. It's in surfing business now, it has got a lot bigger if you're in the right right part, you know, that we've got all these shapers. But we're in that, like the Channel Islands and the JSs and the Firewise in the world, You've got to have a good structure behind you, and we've got an amazing structure behind us. And they 
are incredible at doing it, so they free me up to do what I need to do. And I watched Rusty years ago when he went out and started doing clothing and all that sort of stuff. What happened is he must have put so much time into his clothing that his surfboard business went nearly kaput, you know. And so I went, if I ever get into apparel and clothing, which, you know, I haven't, I've got to make sure I concentrate. And that was always in the back of my mind that I've got to concentrate on the surfboards because I can't let that fail because that's the key. So they've just said, you know, these people that I've got running the business, do what you do best. Shape, design, hang with team riders. We'll look after the rest. And I went, perfect. But th- that's one part. But then you've got the surfboard part. And I've got 18 guys that work for me in my um, factory. My son, um, he's 26 years old. He runs the factory with all these mongrel mob. I didn't know that. And most of the guys have been there for 15 to 20 years. And so I, and all of them have been taught from me. I haven't gone, oh, this guy from here or this guy from there. I've got a few guys that come in and, you know, help out. And, and you know, I've got a Brazilian guy out there at the moment doing a little bit of sanding for me. He's really good. But most of the guys I've taught. So I've got this base of guys that they love the game of surfing. They love watching surfing. And they, they, they make sure that the boards are perfect. And I don't have to worry about that thing as well. So I go and... I just shaped a board for Mick at 9 o'clock in the morning. It needs to be ready at 3.30 this afternoon. Yep, no worries, Darren. I'll have it run, ready. And that's the sort of people they are. So that's been really good. And then we make boards in Bali, um, which has been doing that for quite a long long time. And that's good because I'll go over there and spend some time and surf and just check out that operation. They do about 800, 600 a year. The Brazilian guy that makes our boards, because you can't export boards to Brazil because of the taxes and stuff, he's been doing them for about 14 years, so it's been a long time. And where else do we do them? We tried Europe. That was a failure. And now we just uh, send boards to Europe all out of Australia. What's the problem in Europe? Um, I just got with a guy that was the wrong guy. Okay. And we did do it with Rip Curl before um, in France. And that was really good. When I was young, I was travelling to France. Me and, that's where me and Belly um, are really good mates. You know, we first went to France together working with Morris Cole. That was, you know, a great time of our lives. And um, I did that for a long time, working with Rip Curl and, and working for Morris. That was pretty cool. And and then now we just export to, you know, because the dollar in Australia is really good to do that. And then we make boards in America as well. And we've had the, a guy, Brian, over there that's a really good shaper and a lot of the, you know, the guys... Um, get the boards from over there. So, but America's hard, you know. Why? Uh, I'd have to ask my other team, <laughs> but no, because I think it's hard because um, uh, it's hard because I think the Firewires, the Merricks, and the Mayhems—they just want to be number one in America, and they went all on consignment. And it's just—it was like a race to the top or an ego thing, and. It's not a really good business plan here. Australia, that's why Australia is doing so well in the surfboard industry because we've got shops here that have rack boards really good, have good margins, and they actually make uh, make sense to have surfboards in their store and actually make money out of them. Where in America, I feel like it's a lost leader, and 
they're just too cheap and what we wholesale if i owned a surf shop in america i wouldn't put surfboards in i just put clothes in it right um but we're looking at different models of how to do it you know we're at the moment we're just selling um online and online is you know it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, I mean, o- the online surfboard business is one sector of online business that's been slow to actually grow, mm-hmm. simply because shipping costs, obviously, yep. make it prohibitive. I think one detail in California that's different for retailers is you get a lot of consumers buying boards direct from the shaper. Mm-hmm. So they actually subvert the retailer. Yep. They'll just go to their local guy. And by the way, Mayhem is a local guy for a lot of them. You yeah. Know? So... I, I just can't see the longevity of that. I can't see where it's going to... You know, you, you're asking this guy to fork out for all these you know, 100 boards in their store and then you're selling them cheaper in, out of your factory because you're making more money. And, and so I, I'm not there to you know, save America or do anything like that. All I'm there is just going, America's hard and we're looking at just selling online and doing a few things. Well, I don't think we do. I think we do with like three shops. Is and that all? I think maybe five. Wow. And that's only because I can, you know, they all still write checks out in America. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just imagine that guy writing out a check going, oh, DHD, Australia, we'll, we'll wait for them. They'll, yeah, they, yeah. they got a ring from Australia to get that money. <laughs> yeah. Well, another detail that you alluded to, it's come up a couple of times on the, on the podcast, but is the consignment model. So what a couple of these large kind of um, brands have been able to do is say, hey, retailers, if you're having a hard time paying those bills, this is mostly post-recession, but if you're having a hard time paying those bills, here's 50 boards that we'll just put in your shop. There's no invoice. Once you sell one, Mm -hmm. then we'll give you 30 days to pay it or 60 days to pay it or whatever. So the, the shop owner... There's no um, downside to that model. Why don't you go ahead and just bring those boards in? And But what it does is it undercuts the traditional business model where all the other backyard builders, not backyard builders, but all the other builders who had room on those shelves and expected to get paid the day they drop, or within 30 days of dropping off those boards, now don't have that shelf space. Mm. So it's all in flux right now. We're not sure how it's gonna shake out. Um, it's fully understandable that the retailers would want those consignment boards on the rack, but what will this do to the business in 10 years from now? Yeah. And you can answer that question today. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I make that move. But when they're putting them on consignment, they're asking for more margin and the shops already don't get enough margin. So it even makes it worse. So, um, but the, you know, don't get me wrong, there is some good re- retailers out there. There's a couple of good ones that do do it like Australia, but um, you know they're going. People are putting them in consignment. I don't have to pay that fifty grand of surfboards until I sell one. That's unreal. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we started going. Well, we're not doing the consignment thing, so we're putting in. You know, not we don't fifty boards there. We've only got or a hundred boards there. We've got twenty boards in there, but we've got an invoice at sixty days. But he has to pay that bill in 60 days. So regardless. Regardless. And so do you think he's going, oh, better sell the DHs because I've got to pay this bill. Don't worry about those ones. I've got to pay this bill. It's got, I've got 15 days left. So can you sell another three or four just so I, I break even and get me money? So we started doing that and that was really good. Um, but, you know, the American, uh, I make pretty, 
you know, uh, rocket ships sort of surfboards, you know, and it's only now that I'm diversifying into more boards like that they like in America. Like my twin fin in America sells really good, sells amazing over here. It's like our nearly our best um, board, having Asher Pacey and that riding that board. He's killing it on that thing. And oh. I've seen Ethan riding one out here too. Yeah, I, I, Jake was actually saying, tell Ethan to ride it in his heat. Yeah. But, yeah, the twin fin thing was having Asher is like having a Mick and a Stav. Is it? Because he loves his twin fins. He, he'll he never ride a thruster again in his life, he said. And he said, I might ride a quad. and But you should see his, like, the demo boards that we make for him. We put fins, we're glassing fins in, ripping out, just to get the fins in the right spot. And then channels and all that sort of stuff. So we rip into his you know, demo boards before we go, all right, that's that's the ball we, we're going to do with Asher. We've only done two with Asher and the other twin fin, the original one was just one I did with Steph. She rode that in that proximity movie. Oh, yeah. She ripped on it. Yeah, yeah. Kelly actually said that she should ride that in the contest. Yeah. Realwatersports.com is the real deal. We talk about their 1500 board inventory, but they also have fins, traction, leashes, board bags, everything that you need for surfing and surf travel. Uh, Sunbum that we've been discussing here is also available on realwatersports.com. Clothing, everything you need for more than surf travel, just daily life. And they've been at it for over 20 years now, since 2001 in Cape Hatteras, but shipping worldwide. So no matter where you are, they can supply you, and they're dedicated to customer service, which never goes out of style. So for boards or whatever you need, consider realwatersports.com. Wouldn't have any promo codes or anything like that, but tell them that we sent you and you will be treated like family. So thank you very much, realwatersports.com. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. I interviewed Scott at Kinner Road. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'll publish that before your episode or after. Can yep. you tell me, in case I publish it after this episode, um, can you tell me what Kenna Road is doing? Tell me about their robot, how it's an improvement upon the traditional CNC machine. So Kenna Road came to us um, about three years ago, told us this robot does it 100%. Shapes the board 100%. Shapes, shapes the board 100%. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. So we went and had a look and... I gave him a file and, you know, it ripped into it and, and you know, the, the, the machines were really expensive. You couldn't buy a machine, so you had to, you know, work with them and stuff like that. And the business model wasn't that good um, for us at the time because, one, as I said before, I've got all these shapers and glasses and sanders that have been working for about 15, 20 years that, you know... I didn't want to, you know, say, oh, there's a robot now that I don't have to shape it. And people still want, you know, me to hand shape and touch a board. You know? But those people that want me to do that want us to want to pay $350 for a board, you know. So, um, But it's really good technology, the way that they're doing it. And a lot of uh, – I don't do any PU out of it. I do all my epoxies out of it. And, and I just think that um, it's only as good as your design. Um, so I'm learning more about design and about um, my laptop and, and the 3D um, design um, program because of that machine, which is then going back into my normal PU production and making me a better designer and stuff like that. Because in the end, I'm actually not – I'm a shaper, but I'm actually becoming more of a designer. I mean, DHD stands for Darren Hanley Designs. And that wasn't done at the start because of this, but that's what I'm actually becoming. I'm becoming really good on my computer to actually do these little things and listening to what the surfers want and listening to um, those little things and then transferring it into the into the cut and then into the shapers to make sure that not just Mick and Steph and the rest of the team get big boards, but the public that are paying you know, eight $900 um, for a surfboard. But the Kinder Road thing is really good program where it's going to go from from you know i'd love to be able to own one of those um machines to play with it but whether they're going to be other sandboards with that eventually i think that could happen whether they can glass a board so it becomes a turnkey plant is that going to be the future i think shaping uh and the sport of surfing is the only um, sport that the product's still handmade it's the only one so and i'm sure 
um, everyone wants to get it off that and you know, make some money out of it because we, you know, we don't make amazing money, but we are the ones in the surfing industry that get the least amount of money compared to you know, everyone else. So Kinder Road could be one of those steps that help us, you know, help us make more consistent and great product. Um, and that's all it is. All I want to do is make beautiful boards. I don't, you know, my sh- if Mick Fanning wanted a board on Monday and I'd been out Sunday night with the family having a few drinks and a few wines and I was hungover and I'd go, oh, I've got to shave this board. I don't feel like shaping it. It's not going to come could, you know, come out as well. Yeah. The, the robot's going to go, I didn't go out and drink. <laughs> I'm ready to do whatever you tell me to do. So just push the button and here I go. So I, the, the robot routes fin boxes and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you glass the board straight off the robot? Mm-hmm. The stab in the dark board was off the robot. Amazing. Oh, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, it is. I'll cut but it. I'll I cut did, it. No, no, yeah, it's fine. But I did have to touch that. Okay. Um, I did have to take the rails down because my designing wasn't good. I was good, but it wasn't as good. So, uh, but I just knew that this is the, because it's an epoxy thing that he does a, the robot does a better job than I can because epoxy's hard to shape. Right. So you said um, you're spending more time kind of as a designer than a shaper. Where is your time best spent? Um, my best, I spend like, I think you asked that question before. I don't think I answered it was, you know, what do I do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's right. So I didn't answer that question. But so my day starts like this. Um, reasonably early. Um, I try not to surf too early because, um, you know, I'll, I'll wait till all the workers go to work. So, and then I go surfing. So I usually get to the factory sometime between 5.30 and 7.30 in the morning. And it starts with... Um, you know, just checking the orders that were put in that day, going through all the orders, doing all the designs and making sure they're all right. By that time, you know, the shapers and everything are going through and I'm just picking up shape blanks and feeling them, moving them around and, and just working with the... Excuse me. Working with the, the four shapers that I have, making sure that, you know, they're doing everything right. And downstairs where they blast the boards that i don't have to worry about that they just do that sometimes they'll have a little problem about you know the bit of dirt in in one of the boards or um you know some little problem but that's not very often and then once that's done um depending on the surf i'll if there's not much surf then i'll jump in the bay and do some team boards um and if there is surf then i'll call mick or staff or whoever's around and go let's go surfing and then we'll go and surf for I only surf for an hour, hour and a half, and then I'll come back. And once you've surfed, your hands have got this salt, not salt water on them, but they just feel better. Hmm. And that's when I feel like it's really good. And that's when I love getting in the bay, turning on some 80s music and, and or if there's a contest on and watch the surfing while you're doing it. And then I just shut the door, air conditioning on, music on, shapes and boards, and, and you know, do that and then maybe a late surf if it's good and if it's not good just you know just chatting with the boys downstairs or then i'll go over to the office and find out what's going on yeah you didn't allocate any time for design no the designs first the design's the first thing yeah because i print out the order forms that have been put in that day and they're first to go to the the, to the thing that's the first thing and when i come to these events yeah 
like everyone thinks, oh God, you got a great life. You go to this event, this event. But when I go home after this, I pay for it because I've spent three days here. And on Monday when I get home, I'm going to pay for it because I'm going to have backup, a backup of all the stuff that I'm going to do. And then I've got the team stuff that I've worked out here. And then I've got meetings with like shop team and other team riders that yeah. you know want to change this and want to get an epoxy and so. I pay for it when I go back, so it's yeah. not all. It's not all great. No. Um, what do you view as the biggest threat to your business currently? I mean, you've gone through a couple of decades where there's been various kind of industry shifts, but what do you? What's the biggest threat currently? Um, I mean, the American dollar can be bad for us. Um, you know, we do make um, epoxies in Thailand. Uh, that seems to be the the norm for the, you know, Firewire, Mayhem. Where do, uh, where do those boards go? Uh, they go back to Australia. Uh, they also go to all the European countries and stuff like that. But they, those guys make like 50,000 boards a year. Their, their quality is just unbelievable. Is it really? It's unbelievable. And you know, but it's only good because we go there and make sure that it's good and make you know, make sure that you know the edges are sharp enough. And because, but they've got really good people running that business as well. And it's been a really good model because we, if it was America, it would be different. America makes a lot of good epoxies. But in Australia, we just don't have the facilities to make epoxy boards. Kenner Road. Yeah, but it's, 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 uh, they, can, uh, they can't make the masses like we want. They're limited. They're limited by, by a long way. And it was my idea to tell um, Scott at Kenner Road that, that you, need, you need a glassing company. And I've told guys that have... Work for me. Open up an epoxy thing. You'll kill it. You know, you'll do two hundred boards a week. That's a good business. You don't have to pay for team riders or anything like that. You just just tick it over, tick it over, tick it over. And and he's done that. And um, but I think the you know, with the he's doing a lot of the Merricks there as well. Those um, spine tech boards. So, right. but it's limited um, because there's a lot more people riding epoxies because the people out there that aren't as good as all these guys and just need all the paddle power they can get need to ride epoxies because they're not they're not ripping on boards they're just they want a board that they can paddle out catch waves make it easy for themselves to surf and that's what the epoxies are doing for them why is thailand able to do it successfully and australia isn't thailand can be successful because they're doing doing it for so long with the whole windsurfing and everything that's you go to that factory it's incredible but Australia, because we just don't have the people that work in the, with epoxy um, resins, and um, you can't mix it with your PU resin because you get allergic to it, and you, you got to look after your workers. You so that's the concern. When people talk about being concerned about outsourced boards, I don't think that they think um, Asian-made boards are inferior to domestically-made boards. I think it's more an issue of we don't know how they regulate their businesses. We don't know what their waste disposal practices are. We don't know um, what their employee treatment standards are, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, we've got to get better to that. Um, not just us, the whole world. What's um, your impression of it, having visited the factories? Look, some factories are better than others. Um, the regulators aren't coming down heavily heavily on us yet. In New South Wales, they're pretty bad. Some 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 businesses have been shut down. Um, and then 
as far as our waste and stuff like that, we're buying all this stuff from these blank companies that are making you know, lots of money. They supply us with blanks, they supply us with resin, and they supply us with a lot of stuff. They've never put anything back in the industry. They don't you know, sponsor any surfers or they don't give us anything for free. And we've made the business of surfing and they've just gone, how good is this? You know, well, look at all the money I'm making and all the factories I'm owning and building and stuff like that. And as shapers, we just, oh, I've got to pay that bill, got to pay that bill, I've got to have that surfer because we, you know, our pride is about you know, how good our surfer and how good our board is. So we just tickle along, we, we work really hard and you know, we end up buying a house and we end up you know, just living a normal life, whether we're like an electrician or a plumber or anything like that. We're not, we're not special like... You know, some people try to think shapers are this, put, them, put ourselves on a pedestal. We're not like, we're just like the best. If you're a good plumber or a good electrician, you, know, you can own your own business and, and we're, we're the same, yeah? Yeah. But we too make world title, world champions, which is not what happens with, you know, with electricians and stuff. But those people and the, the company that I deal with at the moment, they're finally starting to take back my drums of resin, like my... my um, empty drums and crushing them and recycling them. And that's taken a long time for the, to get them to do it. We have a lot of hard resin, which is, just goes into landfill. Uh, there's foam dust that you know goes into landfill. Uh, and they've tried to come up with things, but someone has to actually collect it all. But no one, none of these companies care about that until, I think until someone comes in and goes, these guys can't do this anymore. Yeah. And that's worldwide. So what's the solution? I mean, I guess it would be repurposing that stuff. There would then be profit attached to the repurposing. That would incentivize somebody. But you start from start from the bottom, right? Let's say the, the the foam dust. Now I did a thing with the concrete plants where they can I give them the foam dust and they mix it with their concrete as like a product, and it goes in. And they went, oh yeah, this is good, but we don't have enough of it. If you, we're oh. going to do this, we want we we need. Tons. Tons. Yeah. So if someone got all of it, it's it's like a free product that they can put in with their concrete. Filler. Yeah, like a, yeah, and they're going, this costs us nothing. I've just got to get it to me. So that's the first thing. The biggest one, I think, is the acetone. Um, and because that's a – we make sure it goes off in the sun and it's just a solid. So that just gets thrown into, you know, landfill, gets buried and stuff like that. Once it's hardened, it's inert. Yeah. Okay. But it does break down. Um, you know, but it breaks down better when it's in the sun than it does when it's underground. Um, and then you've got uh, you know sandpaper that we use, which is paper, um, it, and it all breaks down. But I don't. I'm not the expert. These guys that are supplying me the products are the experts. So it's up to them to pull their finger out. Stop just putting their hand out for their check each week and actually go, hey, I've got a solution for this because it's going to come the day when someone's going to go, you're right, they should be looking after um, all this you know, waste product instead of us filling out a, a skip bin once a month and going, send another one. You know, yeah. we, Australia right now, we're doing this thing with the cans and the bottles. I don't know if you've seen that. So reverse recycling, a reverse vending machine? Nope, haven't seen it. So this can here? So I've got kids coming to my factory and taking all my cans. It's got a barcode on it. Mm -hmm. Just they go, 10 cents. Just push it in and just keep pushing them in. 
And kids are making like $1,000 a month out of just going picking up all the recycled cans and bottles. So it doesn't happen with wine bottles. And it's great. There's, there's something like a mil, uh, no, more, like a million cans a day getting recycled just on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Something, something ridiculous. I don't know the stats. But, but yeah, so as far as um, that whole thing, as surfers, we're leading the, you know, I, I feel we're leading the environmental things with our, our Instagrams and stuff like that. But someone showed me a, there's a guy from Kinder Road showed me this new website, Windy. And he showed me, and it showed what what um, pollution and stuff. And it just you saw Australia had a little bit of yellow and stuff. And you just push up to China, and it was just bright red, like. And I was just like, wow, here we are trying to save the world by making a few things in the surfing industry, plastic bottles and straws and stuff like that. And then China's just going churn, churn, yeah. churn, churn. Yeah, it makes a difference. You've got to start somewhere, and I support all that, but um, most of the people, you go, we live in the ocean, but everyone lives on these rivers, and they just, you know, you go to Japan, you go to Asia, they just throw stuff in the river. Yeah. And it just ends up in the ocean. Yep. And we're, you know, we see it all, and, and that's why I think we're really, you know, cautious and conscious of what's going on, because we see it day to day. Directly. Mm. Um, what surf media do you follow? I mean, I follow Stab and Beach Grit. Um, try not to read the comments when it's about me. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little thin skin when it comes to the comment section? Uh, no, I've got really thick skin. I don't give a shit. You know, you can, I mean, you, it, things don't affect me at all, you know, um, but... People have their opinions and, and let them have their opinions. It's it's great. You know, you've got to have an opinion. Um, and if people are willing to voice their opinion, that's great. If they don't use their name to it, that sucks. So, yeah. you know, and that's the only thing I don't like about it. But what's interesting is you do read the comments section if it doesn't have your name in it. Because it's entertaining, right? No, I'll read the comments section sometimes when it has my name in it. But don't you agree the comments sections have value? Yeah. They're great. They're great, but you know, they're great, but they're hidden because they've got you know. If I got on there and told them, you know, I've heard people say things about this and that and the other, and they're not true. It's not. They don't know. Just like with any media, yeah, they don't know the real story. Like me and the jet ski. Let's go into that. I would love to hear that. So, so you got a ticket? No. You dumped a jet ski last year. Yeah, so let's go into that because this could be the only time I get to clear it up because everyone thinks I can't drive jet skis. Well, I can't. I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> we have I, video evidence, actually. I've got a million jet ski stories. But I was out there on a mate's jet ski and I only just got my licence back from losing it at the Snapper event years ago when I was uh, driving... I was driving the skis for Snapper, you know, like the... What do they call them? Water patrol. Water patrol. And we did all the lessons and all that stuff. And, you know, I've got more ski stories. I lost a ski years ago. But I was out there and Parker was riding for me and he won the event. And so he's jumped on the back of the ski and we've come down to Woody, you know, who's passed away now that he used to be the security guy. And Woody's 
go and call him and go, yeah, come in here, we're going to pick him up. And Paco's gone, no, one drive-by. So I've come close to him, did this big turnout, put a big wave over what he reckons the best barrel he's ever had in his life. (laughs) And then we did a drive-by, Paco's standing on the thing and then on the back of the sled, no life jacket. I I think I had my life jacket open and it was on the front page of the paper. We got called up to the office. I lost my licence. Anyway, I didn't get it for a while because... Having, I had too many jet skis, I broke too many jet skis. But anyway, going back to that story of, of at Kira, I was just out there with a, with a mate of mine and we're just dropping each other off and surfing and that. And then Corey's going, can we go down, with, down the end and do a couple of photos with Dean Hazard? And I went, yeah, no problem. So I'm down there, we were way away from all the surfers and there was just a photographer in the water shooting Dean and, and Corey on the back. And then we'd caught two waves and Corey goes, I want to get really close. And I went, all right. And then Dean didn't get the message and he jumped off the wrong side. So I couldn't go, otherwise I'd run him over. So I had to ride the wave out. And I tried to ride the wave out. I did it with Bobby Martinez a few years ago where we made it. And Corey just, you know, flung off. And then, um, you know, the music was put to it really well. And, and <laughs> it was like the circus clown music yeah, or something. and Mr. Clips that put that up, I didn't know, but because I changed addresses that I got $1,000 worth of fines. Oh. Um, not reporting an accident, not having the guy in the back with a life jacket and going too fast next to that guy that we put in the water to film it. So the, the problem was that Dean jumped off the wrong side. He jumped off the wrong side, so I had to go the wave instead of going flat and Got just it. getting close. So. But, um, yeah, so Mr. Clips owes me $2,000 worth of footage, which we're <laughs> slowly getting back, and, um, and that was it. And then, but it's, it's good. It's the elephant in the room when I do do some talking every now and then. Everyone's like, tell us about the jet ski thing. That's so. funny. So I, I don't mind it. I've got thick skin, and it, I just laugh it off. I think it's really funny. I've got some great jet ski stories. Yeah, yeah. It's back. The CVS Epic Beauty event is on. How epic is it? It's so epic. You'll get up to 40% off cosmetics, skin and hair care, wellness, and more. We told you it was going to be good. Plus, score hot deals each week on beauty items for the outside in and wellness items for the inside out. Don't miss out. The CVS Epic Beauty event is on now through September 24th. Visit cvs.com slash epicbeauty for details. This week only, get 40% off Colgate whitening pens. Well, back to the Beach Grit comment section. Um, I agree with you. The anonymous thing does make it a little bit sticky that people can just write whatever they want to write. But the reality is even the news misreports the news all the time. Like reputable news sources misreport. So not that that gives the anonymous commentators an excuse or commenters. um, But I do feel like if you can go in there with a thick skin it gives you a really accurate or cross-section of the way that the general public is viewing things. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on there with your armor on, you can kind of read it and go, holy crap, you're right. The WSL shouldn't be doing this. Or surf media should really be digging into this other thing over here that I hadn't thought about. You have to take it with a grain of salt, of course. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I do read things that I think, you know, but I just, I just don't like it, you know, when people people get personal about you know, I've heard them say things about Rosie Hodge years ago, and just little things where they get just get a little you know sexist and 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 bullying. You know, bullying in Australia has been you know, on the media you know a lot because 
kids commit suicide because of getting bullied so much. And Beach Grit is another opportunity for people to be bullied about stuff. So, um, And I've seen one, there was another Swolnet um, did a thing once and then people were calling people out going, well, if you're going to say that, what's your, who are you? you know, and then those people did come back and say, hey, yeah, I'm this guy. And you go, all right, he's got balls because he doesn't have to hide behind that name anymore. So, And I do hear, I don't know if it's true or not, but I do hear people have two names and banter against themselves no to way. make comments. That's amazing. So, you know... To I don't, what end? Why would you even do it? Just to cause some controversy. But so, they're not benefiting anything from it. But It's th- anonymous. I think they want to do that so that the next person goes listen to him arguing with him and he's arguing with himself just to get some stuff i think that's true I've, i know I the believe guy. it and you People know so, crazy but hey it's 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 that's the media that uh beach grit want now yeah. i mean i think um stabs changed a little bit and i i like i like stab and i like sam and all the guys there they're, they're doing a really good job because but they have calmed down a little bit which i mean their comment section has completely calmed down and they even delete entire comments threads when things get out oh, of do control. That. I didn't know that. Stab does, yeah. I didn't know that. But they also, Stab does a great job at these big tent pole events, right? Like yep. the Stab in the Dark. Yep. Nobody even comes close to Stab with that stuff. I think Beach Grid's also done well by moderating their comments in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody does say anything really um, personal, they do delete that and yep. they do eliminate them. You can have a go at someone and have a little, you know, little tissy fit with someone I, i've seen mick and mick and parko and dingo out snapper one to drop in on the other they'll fight in the water they'll call each other names and then they're coming up sorry mate. yeah but you know they're just it's it's the passion that the, that they do in surfing and i think that's the same with those guys i mean the other thing too the beach grit and stab stuff um and the, you know, even the people that listen to you know surf podcasts, I think are the harder call people. I agree. You, you don't have you know, the guys that buy eighty five percent, eighty percent of my boards wouldn't listen to this, or because they're businessmen that have suits on that are working too hard to pay for the surfboard and just want to surf and be into it. But the guys that are coming to the beach and watching the surfing and and love surfing and and all their kids are loving surfing. And the next generation of kids are listening to podcasts and watching this stuff. But most of these guys that are a lot older, you know, they're in their, you know, thirty-five to fifty-year-old. They they don't listen to watch Stab or yeah. or Beach Grip. Yeah. So. Um, are there any up-and-coming shapers that you're looking at that you're impressed by, or you see them on Instagram and you're interested oh, in? Oh, good question. Um, shapers. I mean. We're at the pointy end of the triangle, us all of us guys, you know, in the high end stuff. And you see, even here at this event, you know, there's guys with twin fins, three fins. I really think that I th- I've just got to make sure. I, I think that guys like myself and JS and Mayhem, and I think it's, I think, I don't think there's anyone going to. I can't see anyone going to get to that level anymore. Of volume? Volume and being just at that that end. Um, because the market's too saturated? Well, go back to surfing. Kelly, the goat, you know, he's come to this event. 
look at how many people, you know, this could be his last year or he's going to do the Olympics maybe. Mick's retired, Parko's retired. Um, is there anyone in the male side of things going to be as good as those three guys were? Yeah, because we've got some great Brazilians like, like Gabriel. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Like, people will comment about Gabriel about himself, but I've hung out with him and you know in Bali and stayed with him. He's, he's an incredible guy, but when he comes to competing, he's he's ruthless, which is you know what they've got to do. But I just can't see that level of rival with Andy, Mick, Paco, Kelly, you know. I don't see the next generation being as strong as where um, they'll walk in. A, they won't be able to go and have a coffee or a dinner. I don't. I can't see that next generation being as big, except if the Brazilians go to Brazil, Brazil, because the Brazilians are just taking over at the moment. You know, it was like the Australians were eight years, ten years, twelve years ago. Everybody other than Kelly walks around the street here in anonymity. Mm. Every one of them. They, I, I'm wondering if they're talent-wise, they're all actually as good as a lot of the world champs, but there's too many of them now. Yep. It's like there's 10 guys that are really good enough to win a world title on the world tour, mm -hmm. and therefore it's not that pointy of the end of the stick anymore. It's not just Kelly and Andy battling it out. Mm -hmm. It's Idolo, Felipe, Julian, Jordy. You know, like, yeah, but is, is Julian and, and Jordy... A Kelly, Mick, or Paco is that? Is he going to get? They don't there? seem to hate each other. Yeah, there's no, there's no beach grit into them, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, John, John Florence, like incredible, mysterious type type of guy. You know, I don't know too much about him except we share the same birthday. But he, he's, is he going to compete? Isn't he going to compete? He doesn't hate anyone. He's too aloof. Yeah, there's nothing, but he does amazing airs. And, you know, he he hurt his um, his knee in Bali and hasn't surfed for ages. And what's he going to come back? Is he, you know, there's talk that he mightn't do, you know, the first few events. So I don't know. I just, I don't know if we're going to have that next generation of surfers, which is going to bring up the next generation of shapers. Yeah. So... I think we capitalised on it really well, all of us guys, and and I don't think, you know, we'll bring up that next guy with us to go, you can be the next guy, you know, like JS was used to work for me, yeah. you know, and stuff like that, and, you know, he done really well out of, you know, just grabbing onto those coattails and going through, so. I think Gabriel is a good villain we need somebody to come up and poke gabriel in the eye and john john is a potential candidate in yep. terms of talent yep but he doesn't have the the desire to poke him in the eye he and why would you if you owe that much money <laughs> i know i worry about that too it's like too much too soon yeah. like i mean bob bob hurley's a a, a beautiful guy and, and passionate about our surfing and and John John, he's um, he's golden child. I mean, we got Mikey Wright. So I should he's coming through, which is another guy that could be really good for surfing. Mikey's uh, great, but is he a world champ? He surfs pretty freaking good, um, and you know he's got his injuries at the moment. But yeah, you know, just with his mullet, 
Mm. <laughs> I know, I know, he's full of drive and as as most of the guys that are drinking a you know, in Australia a Jim Beam can or a beer, they just can relate to Mikey Mikey Wright, you know. But then does he even care about the world tour? Like, because Mikey could have a career just drinking the beer and doing the mullet. No, thing. I mean he doesn't drink beer and that anymore. He's, he's he wants to be he wants to be on the circuit. He wants to do it. You know, he he loves he loves the game and he he's got a few injuries. But I don't know. I I, I should worry about it. I do worry about it a little bit to make our sport um, don't go plateau for a, a long period of time. I just got to make sure that we've got. Um, Good villains coming up, good service coming up, and you know, sh- shapers that um, you know look, look shapers that um, people like to you know, ride their boards and just lift our industry, keep on lifting it. Yeah, that's why I like about you know this Vizsla thing. Um, you know, they recognise the shaper. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've done well out of shaping, but. I just like I just you know, mixing with these these new guys shaping and uh, just seeing what they're doing, just trying to be different. Mm-hmm. Some stuff I, I can see that some stuff's going to work, some stuff's not. Well, but it's just good, and I wish they did do the same thing in America. You know, the the Huntington um, contest would be a great thing for this sort of stuff. And they've tried it over there. I've shaped boards there, but I don't know the uh, the American public. Um, it's a big country with like how many two hundred and something million people, compared to you know twenty two million people or something in Australia. We live around this ocean, but um, I just don't think that America's really adapted the whole shaping thing. There's a lot of shapers, a lot of glassing companies in America. Yeah. Um, do you ride any other shapers surfboards? I um, what do I ride? I do. I was riding a Simon Anderson when he was working for us when we did the basing. I had these. Just pulled this old six four out of it was a second, and I took it out D bar. Um, I've ridden the Mayhem one, the Mick one. Um, what else have I ridden? These are pretty isolated experiences. Yeah, yeah it's I'm not. Sure. It's not a part of your regular routine to no, get on other equipment. And no, I yeah, you know, I ride. There was a period of my shaping career, you know, and surfing career that I rode all the boards that didn't go well for the surfers, and it really affected my surfing. <laughs> and this was a five-year period that I didn't make myself. I don't make myself boards. I just like the the boards I ride. I I don't want the team riders' experience. I'll ride their boards, but I'll go and take the boards straight out of the stock room because it's double layer glass. It's what. It's what you're going to ride, and I'm going to make sure that that feels good. So, but yeah, I um, I don't have a where I go and have this board. And, oh, that board's going to make me surf good. I just ride all sort types of different boards. I actually rode a motorized surfboard in the last last home as well, and ate shit. Well, tell me about it. Uh, someone gave me this motorized surfboard. He's a guy in a, a adaptive surfer. Uh, wants me to make him a board for it. And Barney Miller, who's the world champion, I make his boards. And I went, yeah, that's a good challenge for me. I like challenges. Um, so I've been trying it out and I really liked it. I, we blew up the motor in, within two weeks and then I sent it back on a new motor. So I think, all right, well, let's see how it goes and rode in the last big home as well. And it does eight knots, a little hand control on it. 
And I, you're supposed to turn the motor off when you get on the wave. And I got halfway down this wave looking at a six-foot barrel and I forgot to turn it off and the motor just ripped out. I went over the falls. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then, it's, yeah, it goes back to, like, the jet ski story. Yeah, no, so yeah. no one captured it, luckily. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking that um, just these motorised boards, uh, you know, the skateboard motorised stuff is really cool. And it's my five-year plan to have a... a, a a really fun motorised board that you can actually not not ride in competition, but as I'm you know, 55 years old, I just feel that whether it's motorised surfboards or wave pools, I'm going to be surfing till I'm 65 years old, maybe if not more. I would, yeah, I would go longer than that. Man. Yeah, it only gives you 10 years. Uh, so I mean, I would think the limitation is the weight. First of all, right? It's got to be heavy. Isn't yeah, it? it's 10 kilo, this one, okay. which is, I don't know what that is in pound. So can you do turns on it? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's a 7-1. It's just, that's the stock model. There is a 6-6. Six, six. I think the Liam McNamara was riding at pipe and broke a few and stuff like that. So it's called Wavejet. Yeah, there's the... There's, oh, yeah, I've yeah, seen it. Yeah, and I just went, all right, but then I spoke to another skateboard company that's got a smaller motor in their skateboards, and they go, yeah, we could probably... So we're just working on it. It's not my. It's not what I do every day. It's just something that I go. I've got to get to. So it's not uh, obviously. There's no propellers on it. It's just shooting. It's jets. Like jets to jets. Out the tail or out the bottom. In the back third of the board. Interesting. It's fun as. Is it? I went. It's just. It's yeah. To break up surfing crappy waves. It's just a novelty. It can be like the last well, Kira. On the Saturday morning, from Coolangatta to Kira, there was, I counted, over 700 people and 21 skis. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get the motorised out. That's the only reason I did it, because I don't want to go out there. I'm, I'm older, I'm not angry like we were when we were young and you know, fight and drop in like Dingo does. <laughs> I hope he listens to this. Um, so I just went out there just for a bit of novelty and, you know, it didn't work and I, you know, I, I learned something about it. So when I make these boards for Barney and this other fella that I know that um, I've got to secure the motor a lot better for them because we've had them in the river trying it on this board, but, you know, they need the special board that I've been making. So. And then I just think a nice 6.4 pintail and snap is good, keep that motor in. Get some really good barrels and don't have to par- you know, paddle against the current. Yeah. Does eight knots. Oh, okay. Amazing. All right. Well, Darren, this has been a pleasure. I'm glad this finally came together. Yeah, cheers, cheers mate. man. Thanks. Yeah. My little blonde blue-eyed boy One day grow up and be distressed One day grow Darren Hanley, ladies and gentlemen. DHDSurf.com is his website. You can find his boards pretty much anywhere in the world, as you heard through our conversation. So if you're interested, go and grab one of those. I mean, his list of team riders speaks for itself. Um, 
McFanning, Stephanie Gilmore, of course, multiple-time world champs in their own right. Ethan Ewing at the top of his game at the moment. Uh, Owen Wright has been riding DH boards for a long time. Liam Manuel, Liam O'Brien, Maddie Wilkinson, Isabella Nichols, Jacob Wilcox, Luke Hine, uh, Eli Olson in Hawaii, Mark Matthews, Levi Slauson out of Southern California, Jay Ocalupo on the Gold Coast, Molly Picklum out of Newcastle. The list goes on and on and on. So DH is doing incredible work and continuing to hone that sensitivity that he's always been striving to exact. So thanks so much for this conversation, Darren. Really gracious. And it was great seeing you in the electric acid surfboard test with another former surf splendor guest, Simon Jones. Good on you both and good on staff for putting that series together. Anyways, um, you can find everything that Darren and I discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's a comment section if you want to leave a note for Darren. I will ensure that he sees that. And then, of course, we have other shows in production as well. There's Hardcore Surf History by the Brewer Brothers. Scott Bass and I do a news show called Spit, so go and grab that. And then Chas Smith and I do a gossipy show discussing all the things in surfing that you are discussing with your buddies in the water. No holds barred on the grit. So go over and grab that on Surf Splendor Podcast or wherever you are listening to this conversation right now. Thanks for doing that. Thank you for all the support. Thank you to our sponsors, of course, linkedin.com slash surf, sunbum.com, realwatersports.com, and athleticgreens.com slash surf always. All right, I hope you guys are well wherever you are in the world. I hope that you're getting waves wherever you are in the world. Seems to be hurricanes happening all over the place, so uh, lots of pumping surf all over. Hopefully you're getting some of that. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I'll be back here next week with an all-new episode. But until then, I am reminding you to take some time out of your busy lives. Get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on. I always hoped I'd never have to bury a child. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.